Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN. That's the Survival Podcast Network headquarters, also known as the Ant Hill. Today is Monday, February the 6th, 2012. This is episode 835. It says it's Monday, Monday, Monday. We will be doing your emails to jack at the survivalpodcast.com. These are all emails that came in over the last week. The way you do this is you send me an email. You send it to jack at the survivalpodcast.com. And you put question for Jack, comment for Jack, article Jack, or something like that in the subject line. That helps me sort through them. I get about 400 a day. About 2 to 3% will get on the air. Don't feel bad if I don't get yours on the air. Remember, I might put it out on Facebook or Twitter even if I don't get it out on the air. So send them in and uh, be concise, be to the point. I'm going to tell you right now, if you write me five paragraphs and then expect me to read through that and figure out what your question is, I am not going to answer your question. I can't do that. I do not have time. Again, 400 a day. Sometimes people that I really want to help do that. Get your question out in two to three sentences. If you want to give me details, follow up the question with the details. I'll go in there and get the details if I need them. Uh, I'm not being a dick. I'm really not. It's just... I can't do it. I don't have enough time to screen things if I have to read four or five paragraphs to understand what you want to know when you could do it in a sentence or two. If you can't ask in a sentence or two, you haven't figured out your question yet. Sorry about that, man. Uh, I want to remind you guys, or I'm not remind you, I actually want to let you guys know something right now. If you usually skip the introduction segment, don't. I've got all kinds of goodies and free stuff in today's introduction segment. So don't skip the intro today. Uh, first up, though, let's go ahead and take care of sponsor of the day number one. That's Marjorie down there south of Austin with BackyardFoodProduction.com. Hey, you want to know how to turn your backyard into a food production machine? Well, here's what you need. You need the DVD food production systems for a backyard or small farm from Marjorie Wildcraft. You'll find it at BackyardFoodProduction.com. When you get the DVD, you'll find out why she's been a sponsor for over three years of the show and continues to do a lot of business with you guys because she's got a great product. You guys love the product, and everybody that gets the product tells me how great it is. So check it out again. Food production systems for a backyard or small farm DVD at BackyardFoodProduction.com. Next up today is Frank Sharp Jr. and Fortress Defense Consultants. Uh, I believe you need training. Uh, if you're going to carry a gun. I really do. I also believe that you need medical training if you're going to carry a gun. And I think you should have tactical medical training whether you carry a gun or not. Because even if you don't carry a gun, guess what? Somebody else might carry a gun. Well, Frank Sharp can help you with training with your firearms. He can also tra help you with training for medical, tactical medical use as well. And uh, he's sponsor of the day-to-day, -day, but I have something very special to let you guys know. See, I told you not to skip the intro segment. Frank always seems to come up with good things to give away to the audience. He is giving away one seat absolutely for free, and this will be on February the 25th from 9 to 5 p.m. in Crete, Illinois. So please do not try to win this. If you can't go to Crete, Illinois, Saturday, February 25th, show up before 9 and be there till 5 p.m., okay? First uh, space is free to the first TSP listener to contact them, and they have to get a deposit in of $50 to hold the spot. They will return your $50 at class time. That's just to make sure that when they hold the seat for you and they don't take another person, that you show up, and uh, so that's, that's what that's all about. You have to be 18 years and up. You don't have to have any experience for this. This is a tactical medical course for free 
from Frank Sharp Jr. of Fortress Defense Consultants. All you do is pick up your phone and mash some numbers. Here's the numbers that you mash. 708-522-8060. 708-522-8060. First caller to Frank Sharp Jr. gets that spot. That means if you're hearing this around noonish. Uh, today, you have a really good chance at it. If you're listening to it at like 6.37 o'clock uh, Monday evening or Tuesday, I wouldn't really even give it a shot at this point. Okay, next up, I promised you free stuff. Clayton, J- free stuff. Clayton Jacobs, who's the maker of the Soil Cube and is a supporter of the MSB and gives 25% off the Soil Cube to all members of the MSB, is giving away two, yes, two Soil Cubes today. Uh, through a listener appreciation contest. Uh, those of you guys that are sponsors out there or have something you'd like to give away, get in touch with me. You'll see exactly how we do this today. Uh, when someone's giving stuff away, I like to at least have people go to their website. So here's how you will play this game today if you want to win a Soil Cube. You will go to SoilCube.com. You will click on About Us. On the About Us page, you will see uh, a little paragraph from Clayton about who they are and how they do their business. At the end, you'll see Clayton's signature. Then you will see a phrase. It says, be fruitful and, and it does not say multiply. It is a pun. It is two words instead of one. Those two words, the last two words on that page, in that little pun, be fruitful and blank, blank. Those two words, put them in a subject line of an email. Nothing else in the subject but those two words. Send the email to jack at the survivalpodcast.com. In the body of the email, give me your full name and a shipping address. Do not worry, I will not share it with anybody. The two winners will be forwarded on to Clayton, and you will receive your soil cubes in the mail. Everybody else, I will delete your email immediately as soon as the winners are picked. With one caveat, I promise you free stuff. I'm giving away four, count them four, free annual memberships to the Member Support Brigade today. I will pick them at random from the people uh, that enter this contest, actually from the first 250 people. I will give away a soil cube to the 10th person that emails me and to the 250th person that emails me with the correct uh, uh, code words in the subject line, and I will then pick four people at random to give a free MSB to. So even if you don't win a soil cube, you can win a free MSB. That's a lot of free stuff given away. Uh, a couple more things real quick. I want to remind you guys, one, um, that on February 14th, Valentine's Day, that there's an effort to go to Starbucks and recognize the fact that they have, let's say, not so much supported the Second Amendment, they haven't gotten in the way of it. Starbucks uh, has been under a lot of pressure to ban firearms in their stores. They're not simply following a law by not doing it. Any private business owner can post a sign that says you cannot carry in our store. Uh, Starbucks, with a lot of yuppie clientele, has come under a lot of pressure to do this. They've basically waved a latte-coated middle finger and said, we're not going to do that. We'll follow the law of the land wherever we are. If firearms are banned, they're banned. If they're not and you're legally carrying one, you can. if you can carry it anywhere, you can carry it here in recognition of that. And this is an important thing. There's also supposed to be a boycott. All right, I don't think I've ever said that before. There's supposed to be a boycott. All the yuppies are boycotting Starbucks on Valentine's Day to say, we want you to ban guns. So while they're boycotting, we're doing a reverse boycott. We're going down there, and not only are we going down there buying a coffee or a scone or whatever, pay with a $2 bill if you can. That symbolizes the Second Amendment. What's on the back of the $2 bill? Declaration of Independence being signed. How cool is that? And just tell the clerk, hey, we're here in recognition uh, of the fact that you guys support the Second Amendment. Thank you for that. And if the little snotty clerk goes, well, I don't, go, well, thankfully for you, your job is secure because your employer does, and people like me will continue to do business here. So thank you anyway, and be very, very nice. And try to find somebody down there to buy a coffee or a scone or something for, and let them know why you did that, 
make your presence known. You know damn well if these guys had banned guns in one store, the, 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 the Second Amendment community would be up in arms against them. So when they stand with you, stand with them in the face of a boycott for a bunch of yuppie jerks. Now here's the good thing. Since the yuppie jerks won't be there, when you go to buy your coffee and you're just like, I want a coffee or an Americano or a latte or something like that, you won't be standing behind somebody going, yeah, um, I would like um, uh, a grande, uh, half-calf, half-decaf, a latte with a wisp of cinnamon, and um, I want some of that sugar-free light chocolate syrup. You want to deal with that. They won't be there. They'll be boycotting. Isn't that awesome? So check those guys out. Uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead, since we kind of went long, go ahead and just say we have the housekeeping wrapped up today. Do consider joining the Members Support Brigade. I'm giving away a couple of those for free today. Uh, remember, if you are going to join the Members Brigade, Military Law Enforcement, Peace Corps, Active Duty, Prior Service, let me know before you join by sending me an email uh, to jacketsrevivalpodcast.com, and I will try, or actually I will send you a discount code uh, thanking you for your service so that you pay less. Okay, first email today comes to me from somebody named Brian. And Brian says, um, you know, the, uh, the, the thing we just had on about computers, uh, where the guy has an encrypted computer and he's being compelled to provide the encryption code, uh, and it's a Fifth Amendment issue, it, it is kind of like, it's, it's a difficult one to decide. It really is. It's not as cut and dry and as easy. The more I think about it, actually, and this is a, a guy in Colorado, a judge, has, he, now again, this guy has been issued a warrant, and the warrant was served. And they went to his house, and they searched his house, and they took his stuff. They took his computer. So this was done because he is a suspect. And they took his computer, and they went to check the information on his computer, and it's encrypted. And they said, give us the encryption code. He said, no, I'm not going to give you the encryption code. Are you crazy? I'm not testifying against myself. They said, this isn't testimony. This is, we're serving a search warrant. We want to search the information. He says, there's the information. Search it all you want. I don't have to give you additional information. Judge says, basically, you sit in jail until you provide the code. Um... I'm starting to actually believe that the guy's right. That if I have to tell you something, it is it is um, actually self-incrimination. And if they want it broken, they should have to break it. So, uh, But this one is a lot more cut and dry. The New York Police Department now wants mobile weapons scanners for drive-by pat-downs. Let me read this to you. This is on Gizmodo. The NYPD is in hot water with civil rights groups over its controversial stop-and-frisk policy. But NYPD Commissioner Ray Kelly has a solution. Handheld weapon scanners that see guns under clothing. Fourth Amendment, what? What's that? Um, Kelly told the state of NYPD breakfast Tuesday the department was developing a mobile infrared scanner mechanism that would allow officers to detect concealed weapons similar to the way that full-body scanners at airports work. The Department of Defense is also working with NYPD to develop the technology, though details are still rather scarce. Currently, the technology only has a range of three to four feet, requiring the officers to still actually interact with citizenry, presumed criminals. Uh, the NYPD hopes to eventually extend the range to 25 meters. That's 80 feet, folks. And uh, mounted atop a police van. This would allow the cops to simply cruise down the street and scan everybody on the sidewalk without having to let them know they've just been searched. Okay, too damn far. All right, this is George Orwell shit. This is 1984 shit. So this is the police bombarding everybody with radiation to see if you're carrying a gun. And this is not some watchdog group saying, oh, they're trying to do it. This is them saying, yeah, we want to do that. Oh, you know, you guys are so upset with us that we stop you with no good cause and say we're going to search you. 
And, and you know, you're right. You're right. That's, that's a shame. We shouldn't do that. So here's what we'll do. How about we just make an x-ray machine that can x-ray everybody and irradiate your nads from 80 feet away. That's a great idea. Um, this is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous uh, that they think they can do this. That they think this is acceptable. That they think the American people are going to stand for this. My fear is... Damn it, they might be right. The American people might stand for this. I'm not going to. I sure hope you won't. Um, and here's the thing. People are like, well, it's New York. It's a bunch of liberal assholes or whatever. Dude, if they can do this in New York, they can do it anywhere. Uh, there'll be vans everywhere. There's already equipment doing this where people drive a truck down the road, point it at another truck and see what's in the truck. They're already doing stuff like this. Um, I don't really know what we do. Who do you call? You call your congressman and say they need, I, I think I'm going to today. I don't know what he's going to tell me. It's a city issue probably. Uh, but if you live in New York City, you need to be talking to your local government about this. This is absolutely in violation of the Fourth Amendment. There needs to be a movement to, to basically specify. You know, it's one thing to, um, to, to naked body scan us when we're getting on a plane. Uh, I'm opposed to it. I think it's going over the line. But at least I have a choice to fly or not to fly. When I can't walk down the sidewalk or drive my car down the street without being illegally searched, we've definitely gone past the Fourth Amendment, and something needs to be done about this. Um, here's a um, here's another one uh, to get us off in the right direction for a Monday. Um, hey, Jack, to keep it short, do you think Iran will be a proxy war between the U.S. and the BRIC nations? So, yeah, folks, that's how you send me a question. That's exactly how you do it. Then he sends me a little bit more, right? I was thinking about what you said about India using gold to buy for Iranian oil and how Russia and China are also get a lot of oil from Iran. Remember how you said that these nations plus Brazil would want to replace the world standard with their currency instead of the U.S. dollar? I'm sure we don't want that to happen, and maybe some idiot thinks that a war would be a good way to prevent this. What do you think? Is this plausible, or am I making, uh, or am I making tinfoil from two non-connected items? Well, you know, there might be a little foil action going on there, but I don't think it's all foil. Um, I just don't think they're really connected. Uh, I think that the people that are running the United States are not trying to keep the dollar as the, as the currency anyway. Uh, so you're, for your summation to have uh, uh, merit, you'd have to believe that the people in charge that at the financial elite layer uh, that are the ones that always fund the wars and cause the wars and do all this shit, you'd have to believe that those people actually are interested in maintaining the U.S. dollar status as the world reserve currency. And if you believe that, then you would have to ignore the complete destruction to the dollar that's been done over the last 20 years and how much damage has been done to the dollar, and how much the stage has been set for a new global currency. Um, and it, since that's all been done, then is war to stop that? War actually might be, if you really wanted to just take a little walk in the full hat realm for a second, uh, the, the war might actually help that happen. Um, if the U.S. were at war with Russia and China, with a proxy being Iran and India, and they wanted to do a Brazil-Russia-China-India uh, currency, It may actually strengthen that because if if we're tied up there and they're not, uh, that gives them financial maneuverability. I really don't think the two are are directly connected that way, though. I think this is really about um, our desire to tell everybody else how to live, just flat out. It's the United States' desire to tell everybody else how to live and to try to control everybody else's lives and tell everybody else what they're supposed to do. 
And I think that it's time for our country to stop doing that shit. I think it's time for our country to start acting like our founders actually wanted us to act. To have uh, commerce with all, alliances with none. I really do. Uh, and, and alliances with none is not about not being good friends to people or not being good neighbors to people or not being willing to stand up for somebody when we need to, right? Alliances are predetermined, okay? That's the big thing about an alliance. So if you're allies with Canada and France attacks Canada, you side with Canada no matter who did what. You see, that's that's when, when we talk about alliances that way, I want people to understand that. That you, your ally is stood behind in any conflict no matter what. Well, that predisposes that your ally was correct. So you're predisposing that anybody that you've allied yourself with can't screw up. And, and I think that's a very dangerous position to take. If you say we are historically friendly nations and we generally would come to each other's aid, um, I think that's a very big deterrent against either nation being attacked. They're stronger together than apart. But when you say you're allied with somebody, that means that they can do anything and I'm going to have to back them because I have an agreement to do so, like NATO. All right? Think about that. That's what we're doing when we're allying. And I think when the founders say alliances with none, and people hear that old phrase, they think, well, it's outdated. You know, those old crusty founders, man, they, you know, it's outdated. The Second Amendment still applies. Fifth Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Tenth. But this alliance is with none crap that they were talking about behind closed doors. I mean, like, I can't possibly work today. We have to have alliances. No, we can have friendly relationships. We can have preferred relationships. But when we ally with a nation and we basically say we will stand with you no matter what, we're say, you're also saying I'll stand with you if you screw up. Think about if we raised our children this way. Uh, Son, your father is with you no matter what you do. Well, what if I smoke heroin, Dad? I'm still with you. Now, does that mean that if your kid smokes heroin, you're going to be like, screw off? No. But it also means that you might let some consequences come, especially when you've tried over and over and over to uh, have corrective action go along with that. If uh, if, if your, your child is living a completely vagrant lifestyle and, and, and 23 years old and still living at home, a good parent will say, you know what, you want to keep to do, keep doing this? You can do it on your own, in your own place, not my house, under my roof. And you probably did it long before 23. Because even with our children, we don't have an alliances. We might always have their back, but there are actions they can take where we won't guarantee that we will do things in a certain way. We'll say, you know... Me being 100% there for you and standing behind you and helping you do what you're doing requires that you're doing something conducive uh, and productive, right? And if you're not doing that, then I can't back it. I can still be there for you. I can still catch you when you fall. I can still try to help you get out of the mess. But I'm not 100% with you no matter what you do. And that's what these alliance treaties do. They form this relationship where no matter what happens. So we have alliances with some pretty nasty countries. Saudi Arabia. So we'll sit there and we'll say, well, look what they're doing in Iran. And they're not much different in Saudi Arabia now, are they? But they're our ally because they play by our rules. That, that's where we start to get ourselves into trouble. Um, Next up is something I almost put out a video on and I decided not to. Maybe I should. I'll tell the story here in a minute that I would tell on video. And you guys tell me if you think it's important enough for me to do it or if it'll just come across the wrong way and it'll sound like something that it's not like me being pissed off or something. Uh, but I believe that people need to know the truth about what they're being shown. 
So I'm going to read a heartfelt email to you from a listener named Nicholas, and then I'm going to tell you kind of what I told Nicholas in response to this email uh, about a TV show that will be making its, uh, its debut tomorrow. They did a pilot a while ago. It's called Doomsday Preppers. Let me read it to you. Good evening. I've been a listener of yours for a long time, and I think you deliver an excellent product service to your audience. I especially enjoy the increase in permaculture and gardening topics. Uh, I have my two boys outside with me every day getting their hands dirty, and our garden is like a little religion for us. My boys truly know where their food comes from. I have been promoting your podcast for a couple of years now to my coworkers, my friends, and my family, basically anyone who will listen to me since I first heard you recorded, recorded your show in your car. That being said, between work, school, and family, I have very little time for television. In fact, I rather dislike television altogether. Regardless, I found myself with the extra couple of minutes last night after I put my boys to bed and began flipping channels. That's when I saw an advertisement for a show called Doomsday Preppers on the National Geographic channel. After seeing 30-second spot for this upcoming show, I nearly shot my television. I was so appalled at the congregation of idiots they displayed, I wanted to vomit. Finally, after years of hard work by the prepping community, we are receiving some recognition for the kind of people we really are. And then Nat Geo parades out the biggest gathering of retards they could find in the Midwest and airs them on national television for the world to see, and they will forever be associated with us. Everything in me wants me to take the guy that created this moronic show and introduce him to who Peppers really are. Clearly, he has no clue. My only question for you is this. Please tell me you have no affiliation with the show. Nicholas, former United States Marine Corps, first name only. Please. Of course, Nick, first name only is what I pretty much always do unless I'm told otherwise. Um, the answer, as many people who listen already know, is I will absolutely have absolutely, positively nothing to do with the show Doomsday Preppers. I've even had a few people approach me about being guests on my show, and they tell me how proud they are that they are going to be featured or have been featured on Doomsday Preppers. I won't even have them on my show. Once you associate yourself with this tribe, I will not promote what you're doing. Even with people who I know are good people. Christopher Nidges, who's a good guy, and really a smart guy, and when you, if you want to know how to find food in the wild, man, this is the guy to go to. He's going to be on this show. And they're calling him the street prepper, like he's some homeless guy on the streets. And they're, they're personifying him that way. And that's just not who he is. I had him on the show. He was here uh, over a year and a half, maybe two years ago, I had Chris on the show. And uh, he talked about how he lives in an urban environment, and they have this nice little house, and they do all this permaculture tobacco. Now he's a street prepper. Here's what this shit is. This is like the WWF, right? I guess it's the WWE now or whatever wrestling is, where they take this guy, right? And he's a big, strong guy, and they're doing, and everybody knows the wrestling's fake, but the show's real. You know, these guys are flying from the, the ceiling and they're body slamming each other and they're hitting each other with this. And there's these techniques that they use, but it's a good show. If you, I don't like it, but if you like that stuff, it's a good show. You know it's not real, but you go for the show. But then the person has a character, right? Like the wolf man or the, you know, whatever. Or the, uh, I can't even remember these guys. There's the Iron Sheik. I remember him back in the 80s with Hulk, you know, fighting Hulk Hogan and the Russian guy was the run. The Russians were the bad guy. And they have all these character names. Macho Man Savage, right? There's, I'm dating myself out. That's how long it's been since I've paid attention. But that's what this is. Like they're, they're, they're telling, what are you prepping for? And I'm guaranteeing you, I know some of the people that are on this show. And they're like, I'm prepping for anything. And they're going, no, no, what's your biggest concern? Well, it's a couple of these. Okay, and they'll just say, okay, well, you're concerned about economic collapse. You're concerned about a solar flare. And then they're accentuating the most extreme things that these people do. And that's bad enough. 
And that's reality TV. And that's how every reality TV show is. And if they're going to do a reality TV show, it's going to be a disreality TV show or a non-reality TV show. And if they're going to do it on preppers, that's what it's going to be. That's, that's one thing altogether. Here's my bigger problem. In Denver, Colorado, last year, 2011, uh, I was at a dinner that was set up by the people who ran Self-Reliance Expo, and everybody was excited that the producer of this new Doomsday Preppers show would be there. This was right after the pilot came out where the guy in freaking Arizona put his kid in gas masks and mop suits, and he even put the freaking mop suits on wrong. All right, that was that was way even worse. He didn't even put the damn things on right uh, with the way the gloves were done within the, in the uh, with the uh, the suit itself. So he couldn't even get it right. But they put these little kids in gas masks and time on how long it takes them to put a mop suit on, and it was just ridiculous. But the guy has this really cool tilapia pull and all, and that, that part was cool. But that's not they had to do this nonsense. So I was talking to him about that, and uh, and uh, Nurse Amy from uh, Doom and Bloom was there too, and and there's a bunch of us, and, and uh, James Talmadge. Stevens, uh, Dr. Prepper, he was there. We're all sitting around the table talking to this clown, and we're trying to tell him, if you want our help, and we know all the people in the in the in this, this community, and you want us to tell those people to come on your show, then we have to trust you. And with what you're doing, we don't trust you to tell people who we really are. You're being a freaking jackass. You're, you're, and he was giving all these excuses, and finally I said, look. And he, then he starts asking me about, well, you know, your show and all. How many people really listen to your show? I'm like, about 25,000. Now it's like 30, you know. And uh, he goes, 25,000. I get fired for 25,000. That's nothing. I have 3 million people watch the pilot. If, if you work with me, I can put you in front of 3 million people. It's all my 25,000. You guys are shit. That's what this guy's saying when he says that. Your audience is shit. I have the real audience. And I said, you know what, buddy? We're done. Everything I do is designed to present preparing in a positive light. Not paranoia, not nonsense, not the shit you want to portray. Not this shock and awe bullshit. And the beauty is, you can say whatever you want about 3 million people, 4 million. I don't care if it's 50 million people watching your show. I don't need you. I have a self-sustaining business. And with a self-sustaining business, I will never, ever, ever have to compromise my integrity for one second. I can say what I know to be true. I can present things the way that I know to be true. When I make mistakes, I can go out and say I made a mistake. I don't have to kiss anybody's ass, and I don't have to compromise my integrity. This sleazeball looks me straight in the face. And if anybody doubts this, again, there's the group of people sitting around the table. Nurse Amy, uh, Doc Bones, James Stevens, my wife, going to call us all liars, looks me dead in the face, and here's what he says. I compromise my integrity about once every five minutes of every day. So, I'm done. Right? If that's the producer of the show, and that's what he's telling me, he compromises his own integrity once every five minutes every day, and his reasoning for this, I can't afford not to. So there you go. And I was thinking about putting a much shorter version of that out on D, uh, on YouTube as a video and letting people know, because I think there's going to be a lot of crap uh, dredged up from this stupidity, from this nonsense. And... Um, I don't know. Do you guys think that it would be beneficial for me to do that? Not quite as angry as I am, a little bit more calm, and just tell the story? Or do you think that I would just be kind of uh, muddying the waters even worse? I want your opinion. I want to know what this community thinks. Because unlike the producer of this show, I don't think you guys are shit. I think you guys are the shit. I think you guys are the most important damn thing in my world. And what you think and what you say matters to me. So if you think I should go out and do this uh, more publicly outside of our audience on a YouTube video, I'll do it. If you don't think I should, I won't. And I'll do it by you know one of the few times we do things based on a vote here. More 
positive feedback in the comments section, then I'll do it. If you say don't do it in the comments section, yays versus nays. You guys tell me. Uh, go to survivalpodcast.com and comment on this episode again, episode 835. Should I or should I not do this? Um, another email comes in from Clinton. Clinton says, I took a new job with a significant raise, and now my wife wants to look for a house. Don't get me wrong, I'd love to have a house too. But, yes, there's a big ugly but. Recently, it seems there's more and more information on your show and in the media about the coming doom, the death of the middle class, false recovery, etc. I want somewhere to put my money that isn't going to wash away with the stock market, and I don't want to flush rent down the toilet. What's a guy to do? I don't want to be paralyzed by fear. I realize I should see how the job goes before we make a huge decision, but our rental contract runs out in three months after I start, and I need to be thinking about the future. Thanks for all you do, Clinton in Cincinnati. Um, here's the thing. Um, do I think that the economy is going to be like totally screwed uh, in the future? Yeah. Do I think you're still going to need a house? Yeah. So this is how you make a decision to buy a house right now. Can I afford the house? If I took a significant cut in pay, can I afford the house? Can I build up enough of an emergency fund that I can make the payments on the house and the basic cost of keeping the house going, you know, the electricity, the utilities, the taxes, all of that, for at least 90 days before I buy the house? The answer to that is yes, and you want to live in the house, buy a freaking house. Just pick an area you actually want to live in long term. Here's the thing. As long as you have enough income to pay for your home, just because the value of your home goes down isn't really that big a deal unless you want to leave. So be sure that you're living where you want to live for 10 or 20 years, and then buy a house. You can't sit around scared to death Uh, to, to, to take actions to make your life have meaning. I have another question coming up in a little bit that's in some ways related to this, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to save the rest of my opinion for now uh, on it. But I just want to kind of drive home. Don't be paralyzed by fear. Um, you have to decide what kind of lifestyle you want and build the lifestyle. And your home is going to be part of that lifestyle. So the, the concept of I'm not going to buy a house because the economy is going to go to crap, it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. And think about this. If the economy goes to crap, we're like millions of people lose their home, way beyond what happened in the, the, uh, the falling from 2008 through 2011. Way worse than that. Like I'm talking like, you know, just people are just – there's a point where you, the, 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 the banks have to renegotiate or everybody leaves anyway. So – I cannot, in a good conscience, tell somebody, well, don't buy a house. I, I think that's dumb. I can say, don't buy a house you can't afford. In fact, I would say buy about half of what you can afford. I think that's what people need to start doing, is buying about half of what they can afford. If you can legitimately afford a $200,000 house, buy a $100,000 house. There's no $100,000 houses in my area. Bullshit. Bullshit. You know, and you might have to stretch. It might have to be $120,000. I don't know. I can tell you that I've bought five houses in my life, and the most I ever paid for one was $137,500. And I have had some pretty damn nice houses. It's all about being smart, buying at the right time. And there, there, as long as you can get a loan, there has never been a better time to buy a house than there is right now. Uh, in most markets, the, the market's on its ass. Interest rates are below 4%. Um, with a new job, though, Clinton, I don't know that you're going to be able to buy a house as quick as you think. You might have to continue to rent. And don't think that renting is throwing money away. Just rent smart. Uh, there's a lot of people that when this whole thing fell apart, they moved to renting because it financially worked better for them. You only accrue so much equity in a home. 
And it's in, in a 30-year mortgage in the first five years, it's very, very little. And unless the property appreciates, it comes out to almost nothing. And then in the next, the next five years, year five to ten, it's, it's almost the same. You only really start to build equity from like year 11 on. The way people make out with these short-term holdings on a house, the way they do that is with the house appreciating. So they buy the house, they sell the house, they take 20000 out of the house. Uh, and they've been in there three years. Trust me, they didn't, they didn't build $20,000 worth of equity. The equity increased because the house appreciated. And somebody paid $120 more for it than they did. And they basically broke even on the equity. Whole, you know, so here's my big thing. If you're thinking about buying a house today and you figure you'll probably sell it within three to four years, don't do it. That's a rental, uh, that's a rental situation if there ever was one. Uh, it's too much instability right now. We don't know. There will be a false recovery. It's not here yet. This has not been it. It's on the way. I can see it now coming. Um, the question is, will it be enough to get the current ass clown reelected or will we get a new ass clown? Uh, I don't know. And which ass clown will it be is, is our president? Uh, as though the economy is the president's report card and just let's ignore all the other crap that they do wrong. Uh, it's the money stupid. Remember that one. And it doesn't really matter. And But when that recovery occurs, will it be three years? Will it be six years? How big will it go before it finally flops due to the debt burden? I don't know. I don't know. So short-term holdings on a home right now, no. Long-term, I want to live here for the next 20 years or more. Yeah. That's that's always the mentality to be in when you're buying a house. Anyway, it's, you know, our grandparents, folks, they bought little houses. And as the family grew, they, they added on to the house. And that became where they lived for the rest of their lives. We need to start thinking that way again. Uh, next one up there. Hey, Jack. Uh, this is from Gary Gals, by the way. The guy that wrote The Revolution Is You and 50 Cal and some other really cool songs. Dude, this is the funniest, th the funniest thing happened yesterday. So I'm selling one of my old unused bug out bags on Craigslist and I go to meet the guy. He gets out of his car and starts talking. We start talking. Nice guy. Just moved to town. He says, you don't happen to listen to TSP, do you? I said, well, I did the theme song for Jack and was on the show the other day. He freaked. He said he had just listened to that episode. We had set up our meeting a couple days earlier, and when he heard the podcast, he started wondering, hmm, his name is Greg, and he lives in Austin, and he mentioned that he bought a bag for a Bob. No way. Anyway, I just thought you'd like to hear the story. We're going to get together and hang out since he's new to town. There you go. Inspiration for the day. I wrote a new tune last night called Right Wing Nut Job. It's shaping up to be a classic. Cheers, Greg. I, I think that's so cool that more and more people are starting to meet and talk and then like to show something they have in common. Uh, I don't think that could have been the case three years ago that a lot of people would have, uh, would have had that experience. But today there's enough of us out there that we're starting to find each other. That's really cool. Um, Here's where I was talking about continuing on about uh, renting and buying and all that. Uh, and again, it's amazing to me how people, like, you guys all kind of ask the same theme questions at the same time. Matt from Illinois says, Hi, Jack. I enjoy your show. I took action and moved out of my condo, renting for a while so that I could get it sold. I took a big loss, but now it's behind me and I can move on. Any good ideas on how to hold or invest my proceeds? The best protect against housing inflation. After taking a loss on the way down, I don't want to get hit on the way up too. I will probably be in a renting situation for five years considering a future relocation and, 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 and leaning, learning a new area. Okay, so basically this guy took a loss on his condo, but he still got money is the way I'm taking it. It was equity there, but the equity was short of what he initially put in. So he's sitting on 10 or 15 grand or 20 grand. He's renting and saving more money. And now what do I do so the inflation doesn't eat my money away? Save the freaking money in cash, okay? I'm going to answer the question the same way every time. If you don't know what to do with your money, 
If you don't have a good solid investment picked out, and it's specifically money you might use in three to five years, hold cash money, okay? It's not Weimar Germany. It's not Weimar Germany. It's not uh, Zimbabwe either. Hold money. If it looks like the money's going to shit the bed, then convert it to something. But until then, hold money. I, 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 this Too many of you guys are listening to the wrong people that just want to sell you something. I mean, that's flat out the way that it is. You can't be petrified to hold money. Okay, so inflation's 3 or 4%. That sucks. That sucks, but I, I, come on. It's better than losing 20, isn't it? Now, do I think that you can find some creative ways to invest some short-term money and mitigate against inflation? Yeah, laddered CDs to 1% to 2%, 2% inflation, uh, 4% inflation, 2% interest. Now you've mitigated inflation down to 2%. Uh, CD, even though there's a penalty, if something happened really bad and you need to get out of it, it's not that big a deal to liquidate a CD early. So you ladder your CDs one, two, and three years. So there's one third of the money always coming. I mean, yeah, there's some things like that. Is there, is there some strategic ways to invest some money right now? Probably. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not going to do that. If you have a good financial advisor, if you can find one, I mean, go to a chamber of commerce meeting and kick a table and like six of them and 17 real estate agents crawl out from underneath it like roaches and most of them suck. But occasionally you can find a good one. If you can find a good advisor, there's some, there's some good things to buy right now. But short term money, hold cash. And three to five years is short term money. Don't hold gold for three to five years, folks. Don't do it. I mean, if you're going to do that, you better buy ETFs, and as soon as you get a, a gain, dump it. Let me talk about another thing with investing here. So, Because this is a thing that I think a lot of people don't understand. So a guy sitting on investment, I get questions like this a lot too. I'm sitting on this investment. I might need this money in the next three to five years. I put the money in here, and now the investment's up 35%. I don't know what to do. Sell it. Convert it to cash. But then inflation might eat away at my cash. No, no, no. You had a hundred thousand, let's say, a round number. Now you have a hundred and thirty-five thousand. You made a thirty-five percent gain on your money. Okay? Now if I take thirty-five thousand and I divide that by five years, I get seven percent a year. You've earned effectively seven percent a year over five years. It's actually like Six and some change because there's no compounding when we do it that way. But basically, I made 6% interest over the next five years. Put it in cash and hold it. But, uh, no, no, no. Look, you got to stop making things complicated for yourself. If you had 100000 and I said, I guarantee you 6.25% interest over the next five years, and you could take the money out early anytime you want to, and when you take the money out early, I'll pay you the full five years interest. So that, think about this. I'm going to give you a savings account. You put the money in it today. I'm going to pay you six and a quarter percent interest for five years. At the end of five years, the money's yours. Take it and go where you want to. If you decide two years into it, you need your money now. Not only can you take all your money without have penalty, but I'll give you the other three years of interest for free. How many of you would sign up to put your money in that bank account? Well, if you just netted a 35% gain on an investment and you sell it and hold cash, you've done the same thing. In fact, it's even better. Because the money's available immediately if needed. See, and I, I think this is the problem that people like the TV and the radio and the fear control logic. Because no one would call that a bad place to save your money or a bad deal. So you mean I could put the money in there today? Uh huh. And you're gonna give me six and a quarter. Yeah. So I'm gonna get 135k at the end of five years. Yep. 
But if I decide I want the money tomorrow, I could withdraw it, and I wouldn't get a hundred thousand plus one day's interest. I'd get the full five years worth of interest the next day. What's the catch? Too good to be true. Well, it is too good to be true unless you already made the gains. And that's how you have to start thinking about your investments. When you get an investment that, that you knock down a 30 or 40 or 50% gain for, you've locked up the return that you need on that money for five, six, seven years. Liquidate it, take the profit, hold it in cash, and wait for the next cherry-picked investment. But stop being afraid. And stop like, I'm looking to buy a house because the, the value of houses might go down. Again, if you're going to hold the house short term, you're better off renting. That's like holding cash. Here's how it works. You're going to buy a house for $1,200. You're going to rent a place for $800. Take the $400 in cash, put it into a bank account. It will grow faster than the equity will over five years in your home. Okay, Unless the market recovers and the value of the houses start going up. These things have to be based on your lifestyle, what you want in your lifestyle, what your plan is for the next three years, five years, ten years. And only you can answer those things. But stop being afraid to hold cash. Now, am I saying if you have a half a million dollars in net worth in, in, in liquid assets, retirement accounts, all that stuff together, put it all in cash and sit there? No! But 10, 20, 30 grand off a sale of a home or that you're saving up over the next five years or something like that? Don't be afraid to hold cash, especially you savers. All right? These savers drive me crazy. Well, we're saving money up, and over the last year, we put away $10,000. I'm like, woo -hoo! Yay! That's great. So we're going to keep saving at the same rate. That means you're going to save $10,000 this year, $10,000 next year, three years, thirty grand. Great. But we're afraid inflation's going to eat it away. Well, you're only if you got 10% on the money, you're only getting it on the $10,000 this year. And in the first month, you only got it on, what, about $900? bucks. 10% over a year on $909. I mean, see, you start letting pennies and nickels get in the way of the big target, which is how much can I save in three to five years? If I, if you can come away at the end of three years with $30,000, trust me, it's still going to buy a lot. Will it buy what it buys today? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. There's, there's some real turns in this economy that could take uh, from a deflationary standpoint. Remember what happened. Everybody was freaked out. Well, what about it? This was all going on. This was all going on in the early 2000, 2005, 2006. The inflation, everybody was afraid of the crash and what inflation would do to their money. The reality is if all you did was save cash from 2001 to 2008, everybody told you you were a sucker until they took a financial bath when the market crashed. When that market crashed, if you had been sitting on a big nest egg of money, you could have bought anything you want for about three years and you still can with that money. That cash is king in a recession. Please remember that. All right. Uh, next one. This comes in from Mike over at Victory Seed Company. Uh, hey, Jack. It's been a while. I hope all is well with you and yours. I realize that it's been just about a year since we set up the TSB MSB benefit coupon codes for members, uh, and they were, a, they were set to expire. I went ahead and left the codes the same and just bumped the expiration out for, out for another year. I wish all of the MSB supporters would do that. Don't make me change the code in the back office. Just extend the existing one, right? It's so much easier that way. If you want, you might let folks know that if they have their garden plans done, now's a good time to order seeds as we still haven't hit our busy peak time, so we're getting orders out fast within a day or two. Another thing that your supporters might be interested in is that we added a couple food staple crops. We have a pretty diverse selection of older non-GMO soybean varieties as well as two varieties of quinoa. So there you go, Mike Dunton over at Victory Seeds. MSB code has been extended. And there's two uh, seed companies in the MSB, uh, High Mowing, that gives free shipping, and then Victory that gets a discount on your seeds. Man, now's the time to order. Now's the time to order, especially like even the stuff you're going to plant in the ground, 
two months from now. Get it now, good fresh seed, while it's easy to come by before certain varieties and things uh, sell out. And that's for everybody, not just MSB members. But if you're MSB, take a look at what Victory or High Mowing have before you buy from anybody else because they're the ones that have stepped up and made a discount for you. And remember, Seed Savers Exchange uh, gives you $10 off your first year membership as well. So uh, for those of you planting your seeds and stuff like that, it's a good thing to be reminded of. Uh, here's another question, kind of a different thing, which is good because I don't want to always do the same stuff on finance. I like when stuff like this comes in for a question show. Last year, you had an episode with Old Grouch, who's Tim uh, from uh, from Old Grouch Surplus, and recently you had a listener call in about CUCVs and what needed to be done to them, uh, especially with transmissions. Pardon my ignorance, but what's the big deal about military trucks versus getting a civilian diesel rig of a comparable year if one realistically has to replace the transmission to put uh, in uh, 60 to 70 mile per hour overdrive and modify the electronics from 24 to 12 volts? Why not just get a civvy version? Are the miles on the engine frame generally much lower than mil SERP? Uh, the general savings in price, does that justify the additional work involved? Is it just because it's cool and has a camo paint job? Are there better years in military versus civilian head-to-head? Uh, the 85 may be best, uh, but the 87 mil is better, 87 back and forth. Main reason I ask is I just got into an accident with my 03 Dodge Dakota, 4.7 liter gas engine, and the insurance company has told my rig, whatever I get for the new rig, I really need a better engine to pull my 22-foot bug-out trailer. I bought uh, years after buying the Dakota. The 4.7 doesn't do grades well with the trailer, even though it's an ultralight with pop-outs. Uh, I will hopefully get around $10,000 for my truck in the settlement. If I get an older full-size truck, I could pull the trailer easier and have some money to use for other preps. Um, I got to tell you that I probably would not buy a CUCV for that application. I really wouldn't. Um, it's not really what, especially if you're going to use it as a daily driver. You can, but here's the re here's why people do this. If you buy a CUCV. You can get a set of manuals and some parts, and you can you can work on it no matter what. It's designed for ultra simplicity. If you wanted to find the civilian equivalent of a 1985 CUCV uh, Chevy uh, in either pickup or blazer form, it's difficult to find one. There's not a lot of them out there, especially a diesel. And knowing exactly which model you're getting, which parts, which maintenance procedures, and the equivalencies just are not as guaranteed. Where if you buy the Mill SERP version, you know exactly what you're getting. The parts on all of them are interoperable within their classes and things like that. And I guess there is some cool factor in it. But they're also affordable. They're cheap. You can buy a CUCV in pretty decent shape. You're going to have to put some work into it, but in pretty decent shape for three to $4,000. Uh, it's hard to find a really... Because what happens is people that are holding on to that 85 diesel Chevy truck... Um, it's in pretty good shape, have this belief that it's like equivalent to like a 1970 Mustang in some way in their head, that it's classic or something. So they tend to let emotion drive some of their requirements for purchasing prices. So they're just easier to find. If you want to find one, you can find one like that fast. For what you're doing, you want you got a 22-foot uh, camper RV trailer pop-out. It's a light trailer, but your 4.7 liter in your Dodge doesn't do it justice. I understand completely. I have the same motor in our Dodge pickup. And we have a 21SS Shamrock trailer. It's probably heavier than what you have, but on, on going uphill, it sucks. It eats gas like crazy with the 4.7. It doesn't have enough power. Um, if you want to stick with gas, 
you know, any good solid 350 uh, Dodge Chevy Ford's going to do okay for you. Uh, if you're going to spend ten thousand or less, you know, you, you're only going to get so much quality there. I would not go around pulling something like that with a CUCV. You're going to very, be very unimpressed with the acceleration capabilities, even if you upgrade the transmission. Um, it's just not, they're not designed for high-speed highway use. They're designed for military use. Uh, so they're designed to take a rugged environment and be easy to work on. That's why people buy them. It's not because they're supercharged or anything like that. Now, if you bought like an old deuce and a half, it, it, you won't even know that trailer's there, but that's an awful big truck to go camping with and things like that. So um, that's, uh, that's uh, just a mis- uh, There's your answer, uh, basically. Okay, I'm going to call the uh, next uh, piece Angry Man from McDonald's. And this is somebody that works... Uh, clearly in um, maybe the corporate level in McDonald's. And uh, he sent me an email uh, that said, uh, you've been a listener for a long time, and McDonald's is not a huge faceless corporation. He's very, very angry that I talked about McDonald's uh, stopping the use. Keep this in mind. That's what I did. They reported on the fact that McDonald's quit using pink slime in their ground meat. And that they said it had absolutely nothing to do with um, with Jamie Oliver's campaign uh, in the food revolution and letting people know that they were eating pink slime. So uh, he sent me this long list, and I'm actually going to read some things because he's very correct about some things, and I don't want to make it like I'm just bashing McDonald's. But I sent him, and I, I sent him an email. I said, no, when I attack you guys for this, I'm attacking corporate practices that had them selling ammonia-washed meat to the American people that had been bathed in fecal matter. Uh, there is no defense to that, none. You want to try to give me one? Oh, and you're really telling me there's chicken in the chicken nuggets, all right? So here's his response to that before I give you some of the good stuff on, on uh, McDonald's. Wow, you completely missed the point. 70% of all ground beef in the U.S. is ammonia-washed meat. Yet you choose to mention only one company, the same company that does many positive things for the communities it serves and leads the industry in its efforts to be a responsible corporation. I don't know about that. You're not being fair, and fair is an all-capital, Jack. This really baffles me, given I've always known you to be a very fair person who highlights both the good and bad regardless of your personal views. Two final comments on your reply. One, you are attacking the individual owner and not the corporation. Do you think anyone draws a distinction between the two? No, they just stop eating McDonald's and go to another restaurant that does not do what McDonald's does for its communities. And the ironic part is they're probably eating more pink slime, hormones, chemicals, and crap than they would have at McDonald's. All the while, the individual owner who has worked so hard to build up his business suffers. So maybe he's an individual owner. I'm not sure. Okay, so first of all, let me address that. If you are listening to me and my advice about food, you're not going to any of these damn restaurants. You're not not going to McDonald's and going to Burger King right, or Wendy's. You know that all of the food is basically garbage. It really is. But my response back was basically, don't worry. Most people are going to continue to eat garbage blindlessly and mindlessly, so don't worry about it. There will be plenty of it. Uh, and he says, too, sorry to break it to you, chicken nuggets are chicken. Since 2003, they are made with all white meat chicken. Which begs the question, even if I were to accept that, what were they made with in 2002? If they've been made with chicken since 2003, what are they made with since two, prior to 2002? I'll also say this. I haven't actually eaten a chicken McNugget in a very long time. And if people out there want to tell me if what look what, when you when you break open a chicken McNugget today, does it look like a piece of white meat chicken or not? Because I don't know. Because I won't eat the garbage. 
And if it does, fine, so be it. But I don't believe that it does. I still believe that it's all chicken parts from the white meat area, including gristle and fat and snarl, centrifuged and smashed together. If it's not, and it might not be, because I have not touched one of these things in this uh, millennia, right? I guess, you know, so I guarantee you I haven't touched a chicken McNugget since the year 2000. It's been that long. So if they are white meat, they are white meat. Um, here's what I do want to, I do want to read what McDonald's has done that is, uh, that's good. All right. I want to give this guy a fair hearing here. This is again, Diego says, we were the first in 1973's quick service restaurant to print our nutritional information on our packaging. Agreed. Great. Most of our suppliers are the same you buy from at the grocery store. Heinz, Tyson, Kraft, etc. Yes, but my problem exactly. I taught, see, and I think this is maybe Diego, you didn't pay attention in the past. Uh, I rail against big food all the time. So the fact that you're selling big food in a big food, fast food, doesn't really help your case, but it is legitimate. It's not like you have your own suppliers of specifically made to be crappier than the rest. It's, I'm not ever saying that. We are the industry leader in food safety. In fact, our internal requirements are stricter than government requirements, which is why the government asked McDonald's to help them in this area. Don't really care. Because the government requirements are crap to begin with. They allow us to eat things we shouldn't be eating. We were the first national quick service restaurant chain to have a 100% zero trans fat oil. Don't really care. Because it's still garbage. Um, we established 169 model McDonald houses which allow parents to be with their children while they receive treatment. Without charity, many parents could not afford to pay for a hotel to be with their children. Imagine a poor five-year-old trying being, child being treated with leukemia, for example, in a cold, sterile hospital without mommy and daddy to comfort them. Absolutely, 100% valid, and thank you, McDonald's, for the work you've done with Ronald McDonald Houses Charities. I think it's one of the most wonderful things that any corporation has done in America. Kudos to you for it. Thank you for it. McDonald's sources are the, uh, their food locally when possible and spend $7.5 billion a year buying from local community farms that meet our high standards. Uh, your version of high standards and my version of high standards are very, very different. I'm, I'm just saying. You're buying shit that's GMO, that's herbicide sprayed, that's pesticide sprayed. I know everybody else is. That's not the point. You're the biggest cat in the game, so you get the biggest part of the blame. Right? So that's just... Sorry. Since 1989, McDonald's has refused to purchase beef grazed on deforested land, even though it would save the company millions of dollars to do so. If the cattle are eating crap, I don't care if they're eating it on deforested land or not. In fact, in many instances, the cattle on the deforested land might be much healthier for us to eat. What's your definition of deforested? How long ago was it deforested? The East Coast, from the Mississippi River to the Atlantic Ocean, anything there that's not a forest is deforested land. Do you understand that? Anything from the Mississippi River to the Atlantic Ocean... Where there's not a forest today is deforested land. When the first people came here, first white people came here, a squirrel could go from the coast of Maine all the way to the Mississippi River without coming out of a tree. So the entire eastern United States is deforested land. Are you going to tell? So I know what you really mean, but I'm just kind of putting this in perspective for you. So if there used to be a forest somewhere, and now it's being managed as a feed land for cattle, and it's being done organically and healthfully, I'd rather eat that. I'm not trying to make, like, you know, I'm not trying to say, look how green I am. So, eh, but okay, at least there's, there's probably something to that 
with getting your beef from outside the United States, like burning down rainforest to graze your beef. So kudos if that's what you're talking about there. We are pursuing uh, conversion of used cooking oil into biofuel for transportation and heating. Big whoop. I don't care. I mean, I really don't. Plenty of people would show up and take it away if you just made it available to them anyway to do it themselves. McDonald's chicken suppliers only treat ill chickens and are prohibited from using them for the purposes of enhancing growth. So is every other piece of chicken on planet Earth uh, served to people in the United States through the U.S. Uh, food service. You cannot uh, put hormones in chickens for growth. It's completely misleading that anybody uses hormone-free anyway, including Tyson uh, and other people that put it on their labels. Because there's no such thing as hormone-supplied uh, chicken. Um, and you're saying treat ill chickens and producing from their purpose of enhancing growth. I bet you you're using uh, antibiotics because you almost have to in the environments that these chickens are raised in. Anybody wants to try to tell me, anybody wants to try to tell me that a chicken farm is a healthy environment for a chicken and that the chicken that comes out of that is healthy, I'm not buying it. Now, to be fair... McDonald's is not the only one serving you this crap. If you go down to the store and buy Tyson or anybody else, main, you know, Pilgrim's Pride or any of this crap, it's all done the same way. If you doubt it, look at a chicken truck driving down the road taking the chickens to the slaughterhouse and see what that looks like. It's disgusting. But it's the modern food industry. It's not just McDonald's. Why did I just bring up McDonald's then? That's who the story was about. And what seemed to go straight over this guy's head was that it was that they're stopping using this. Now, he still contends that Jamie Oliver had nothing to do with it, and I still contend that he's full of shit. If he's just an individual owner, right, um, well, maybe that's what corporate told him. If you want to believe it, fine. I don't believe it. I don't believe it for a second. No more than I believe that all of a sudden they were bringing out salads and stuff right after Morgan Spurlock reduced uh, supersize me. Oh, I had nothing to do with it. you know. And if McDonald's is getting upset because they're the ones that take it on the chin the most... Understand, when you're the biggest person out there, you're going to take it on the chin the most. You're the one that's setting the trends for everybody else. Everybody else is chasing you. Um, I will say that I have seen definitely over, we, we occasionally will stop at a McDonald's. When we're traveling, we need something to eat quickly, and generally only for breakfast. Um, and even though modern chicken sucks, I occasionally eat modern chicken. I occasionally go to a store and buy modern chicken, but I know I'm buying something that sucks. And uh, I did try their chicken breakfast biscuit. It was incredibly well done for a fast food level product. It really was. It tasted good. Uh, it was crisp. And uh, because of that, I got one again at a later date when I was traveling again, and it sucked ass. And those were two different restaurants with two different levels of quality. One was just like little podunk town in East Texas. But this looked like a yuppie McDonald's in Los Angeles, and they were fabulous. And then the other one was right in Arlington when we were coming back one day. I said, you know what, that chicken biscuit's garbage, but damn it, I'm going to eat one anyway. We're on the road. It's quick. It's fast. We'll get out of here. And I ate like two bites out of it and threw it away. And I went and bought a bag of beef jerky and ate that for breakfast on the way back up here, uh, which is what I probably should have done in the first place. So I'm not picking on McDonald's. I'm picking on modern food. Um, I also have a guy named Robert who sent me an email, and this is what he says. Uh, about chicken in the chicken industry. Just listen to Darby's interviews. His words concerning chicken processing were wrong. I worked at a plant. I have a BS in poultry science from North Carolina State University. I didn't know you could get a BS in poultry science. Anyway, the process is as clean as it can be while running 120,000 birds a day. I worked on the QA side, and we constantly check for fecal contamination. The evisceration process is highly controlled, and it's very rare bird that has a ruptured gut. Each bird was inspected by multiple plant employees and the USDA, uh, USDA meat inspector. 
they love to kick a bird out for the process for any reason, especially fecal matter. The cooling tanks are continuously tested for all types of contaminants, especially fecal. Please clarify this to the audience. I'll be glad to come on a show and explain the entire process if you would like. It gives me some numbers. A few bad apples have thrown a huge cloud on the industry. It's not perfect, but providing Americans with high-quality protein at a very low price. Again, high-quality is a word we'll disagree on. What is high-quality? Um, let me tell you, this is, this is how I feel. I think that the people that do the work in these plants believe in what they're doing. And I worked in a turkey farm when I was a kid in high school. But I can tell you that when you use a, a mechanical evisceration tool to yank guts out of a chicken, you're going to leave shit behind. And that's why they soak them in the chemical tanks, because they know it's there. They don't test to see if it's there. They test to see if it's dangerous. I mean, that's that's the way I view this. So is there is there is there E. coli there? Is it living or dead is what we're testing for. Have we killed it with this drenching process? But I don't want to be unfair. If Darby was completely wrong about the way that modern poultry is processed, and somebody can prove it to me, let me know. I'll put it on the air. I'll be fair. I really will. I don't buy it. And when I ask this guy for proof, he can say, I can only tell you about the one place that I worked, and I haven't been in the industry for years. That's not proof to me. I'm sorry. Um, so moving on, uh, if we wanted one more thing to be upset with about big uh, ag today, um, we now have uh, another great thing done by Monsanto. I'm going to read something to you. And uh, whenever you see hear these people uh, defending big ag, big food, I want you to think about this. This is no one's denying any of this. Monsanto's seeds could be a tech dead end. This is on civileats.com. Uh, I'll put a link in today's show notes along with all the other stories. When I wrote recently about the next generation of genetically engineered seeds, I was in truth referring to the next generation. The fact is that the next actual generation of seeds is already out of the lab and poised for approval by the USDA. And I'm not talking about Monsanto's recently approved drought-tolerant seeds, which the USDA itself has observed are no more drought-tolerant than conventional hybrids. Okay. No, the exciting new seeds are simply resistant to more than one kind of pesticide. And I, I already commented on this guy's blog, said so he should, really should use the term herbicide here. And, and the reason is, okay, understand that a herbicide is a pesticide. A, her a pesticide is technically anything that kills a pest and leaves whatever you're not trying to kill behind. So the pest can be a weed. But when you say pesticide, people think of killing bugs. So you can spray pesticides on a plant and not expect the plant to die. It only kills bugs. So really, I'm going to just change his word here from this point on to herbicide. Because this is about killing weeds. And I think it's just a more accurate way to portray this. Okay, so we're going to go back on this. No, the existing new seeds are simply resistant to more than one kind of herbicide. Rather than resisting Monsanto's glyphosate-based Roundup alone, they will now also be resistant to Dow AgroSciences pesticide 2,4-D. A new, a new herbicide, you say? How exciting. Except 2,4-D, despite its catchy name, has been around since World War II. Not only is it one of the most commonly used uh, herbicides in the world, but it came to further prominence in certain circles when it was incorporated as the main ingredient in Agent Orange. Yeah, remember Agent Orange? Remember the shit they sprayed all over our guides in the jungles of Vietnam that caused them to have all these illnesses, and the government eventually admitted that it caused all these illnesses, and then the government said because of what they were trying to do and, and fight that war, they would have even done it again, even though it, was, it did this all this damage to our people? You know, Agent Orange, the thing that our, my late friend Ron Hood is convinced gave him cancer, who served us in Vietnam, that stuff? Yeah, they've made a a 
a new seed variety that you can spray with Agent Orange. <laughs> Indeed, with research into new antibiotics, research into new potentially safer pesticides has come to a virtual standstill like the drug pipeline. The herbicide pipeline has run dry. Instead, biotech companies are going back to older, more toxic chemicals like 2,4-D for inspiration. So instead of coming up with a herbicide that's less damaging to people and plants, they're just taking the old herbicides that killed everything and modifying the existing plants to, uh, to, to, to not be damaged by it. You know, I'll tell you how I feel about this. Um, I told you so. That's, that's all I can say is I told you so. I keep saying, as upset as some people are about genetically modified organisms, and saying that, okay, well, if I eat corn and it's been genetically modified, that genetic modification to the DNA of that corn is dangerous to my body, I don't really know that. I don't know that for a fact. And when Darby Simpson, to be fair, came on and said, you know, they looked at the guts in the interior of a, of a hog that was fed GMO corn versus one that was fed regular corn, and the difference in the gut lining was just massive, I, that doesn't, see, to me, I look at things much more scientifically than that. That's not a single variable. For it to be a single variable, the GMO corn would have to have been GMO corn that was grown without the GMO inputs. So, okay, it's corn that I can put atrazine on, but I don't spray it with atrazine. How do I know that the damage to the animal was from the GMO and not from the things that were included on top of the plant? Because now I can spray all this crap on it, like 2,4-D, for instance, or Roundup, or atrazine, depending on what the freaking plant is. Once the plant is made resistant to these herbicides and it's sprayed in there, is it the herbicide or the genetic modification doing this? And that's why I say I'm more concerned about what the stuff's being modified to do. So what they now want to do is modify your soy so they can spray it with both Roundup and 2,4-D, which was basically the main ingredient in Agent Orange. Agent Orange, okay? You got that? So when, when anybody defends these people, and, and you know what Monsanto's actually doing now? They're blaming the farmers. It's your fault we had to do this. What they're saying is the farmers use too much Roundup. And that's why, because the reason they're doing this is the weeds are becoming resistant to Roundup. Just by spraying it over and over and over again, the weeds are becoming more resistant, or the weeds that are already resistant are becoming the predominant weed. Well, they're saying you farmers use too much Roundup. Don't you think that's what they were trying to get them to do? Don't you think the whole reason that they made the stuff Roundup ready was so they could sell more Roundup? Do you think they did it because they believe in peace and love and harmony? Or do you think it's because they sell Roundup and they wanted to sell an ass load of it and if you made it to where they could soak the whole field instead of just the field edges with it, you'd sell more? Well, that's exactly what they did. Um, in fact, I have another article that says we're over time. I'm not going to read to you today, but it's on Grist. I'll put a link in it. It's about how much damage is being done to the fields from Roundup. So what, what damage they're doing to the land itself. And um, there's a, a statistic here that Jason, who sent this to me, uh, pulls out. The Grist article states in 1994, 7.9 million pounds of Roundup was used. 1994, 7.9 million pounds. You want to take a guess at how much Roundup was used in 2005. Okay? 1994, 7.9 million pounds. 11 years later, do you think maybe it doubled 15 million? Quadrupled 30 million? Eight times would be, what, 60 million? How about this? 119 million pounds. In 11 years, it went from 7.9 million pounds of this stuff being dumped on the planet to 119 million pounds. That's one herbicide. 119 million pounds. Not 119 tons. 
just in 2005, American farmers poured 119 million pounds. That's over a tenth of a billion, right? A hundred million is a tenth of a billion. A tenth of a billion pounds of Roundup dumped onto the food supply because the food supply now allows for it to be dumped onto the food supply. And this is where I just feel that all of the stuff that we're being told about the modern food supply and people that mean well, like Diego and Scott, one was a McDonald's owner, the other one worked in the chicken industry and says, hey, somebody's got to feed the planet and this is how we have to do it for now and we do the best we can. You're, you're not lying, you're just wrong. It's not the best we can do. We can do better. It might have to cost a little more. But if it costs a little... See, the economies are remarkably self-adjusting. When the cost of one thing goes up, the wages in that sector go up, which creates support industry where the wages also go up. And that's how economics works. And this is the most prosperous country in the world. If you tell me that for a time this is how people in less developed countries have to eat until they figure it out, I still think you're victimizing on them, but maybe you can make a case. But in the most advanced most financially successful country in the world, the best we can do is chicken soaked in its own fecal matter? And we say, oh, it's not fecal matter. You see, and here's right, like, like with Scott telling me this, like we test for it, but it, is it still fecal matter if it's been chemically made inert in the mind of science? And the answer is probably no. I'm not sure on that one. But I do know, I do know what it looks like when a chicken truck goes down the road. I do know what it looks like when chickens are de-beaked and packed in. And I, I do know what it looks like when people go into a chicken farm and get the chickens out for, for, uh, for, for butchering day. I've seen all this. And I'll tell you one thing that Darby brought up when I had him on, and then I need to wrap up here, that you cannot disagree with. If you go find someone that locally raises chickens and pastures them and takes care of them and gives them a life that's suitable to a chicken, And, and, and butchers them by hand and does things the way they should be done. And you pull that chicken out and you set it in your sink and you rinse it off before you go to cook it. It doesn't stink and it's not yellow. You go down, try it. Go get any, especially instead of parts, a whole chicken, a whole roaster chicken from the grocery store, from any of the main brands of non-organic chicken and pull it out. And you tell me the first thing that hits your nose when you pull it out of there. It stinks. It stinks. And I'm not going to tell you I'm a Puritan, that I never eat any mass-produced food. I do, especially meat. It's the most expensive thing. I can only afford to eat so much organic, free-range, locally acquired stuff. I can only grow so much of it myself. And I want better options. That's why I'm working on AgriTrue, to try to create more options like that. You know, But let's not, let's not deny what it is. And why is this a survival topic? And, and one of the things that, that I got back was... Uh, Scott uh, from the from the uh, chicken industry said one of the big things is that or no Diego said this nobody's ever gotten sick from McDonald's. I think there might have been one or two times, but I'll let that go. But basically, no one's been sick because they ate their meat, right? They they sell millions of burgers and every no one's sick. And I said, you and I have a very different definition of sick, and this is why it's a survival topic. Sick in the food industry means you eat it, you come down with botulism or salmonella or something like that or hepatitis or whatever, right? And then you have to go to the hospital and you either get medicine and get cured or you die. That's what the food industry calls sick. But how many Americans are walking around sick every day? How many Americans don't really eat that many more calories 
than, than they're required to. A little bit of a calorie uh, on a plus side, but they're extremely obese and overweight. How much of that has to do with hormones in our food? Sure, there's no hormones in chicken, but what about other things? How much of it has to do with pesticides and herbicides being in our food supply? How much of it has to do with things like pink slime? What does ammonia washing to meat really do? I don't know, but I just don't think it can be good. How much of it has to do with your gut being irritated and agitated by Agent Orange now? Oh, that's great. That's a great idea. By glyphosate, by atrazine. How much of the American walking sickness is due to these things? And don't tell me we can't do better. Don't tell me there's no alternative, because I don't buy it. But folks, for now, there is a mass food industry, and there's a small food industry. And if you want to make a difference... And you want to fight for your own survival at a local community level. If you want to fight for your own survival in your own household, you can't necessarily afford to do it 100%. Some people can, some people can't. But what you can do is make smarter choices and give some more business. Go ahead and buy that $12 or $15 bird. Maybe you can't afford to do that. That's not going to be what you eat all the time. But buy three or four a month and make two meals out of each one. Roast it, cook it, share good quality food with your family. Take the remains and make a bowl of chicken soup out of it. Make a pot of chicken soup out of it. You'd be amazed what you can do if you just start trying. We can do better. And with that, I do have everything wrapped up today. I want to say something here at the end, though. Um, I don't know what the hell's wrong with me today. I, I feel like this is one of the worst episodes I've ever done. Maybe you don't. But I feel like there were parts of it where I was completely just, my timing was gone. I don't know what it is. I felt better here at the very end. Um, but I apologize when I don't deliver 100%. And I don't feel you guys got 100% today. And uh, I'll do my best to make sure you do for the rest of the week. And sometimes we all have an off day. And like I said when I was talking about Doomsday Preppers, the, the, the beauty of having a business like I do here is that when you screw up, you can admit it. Uh, and if I screwed up on, the, on the, you know, the chicken industry today or when Darby was on, and you guys can correct me, I'll admit that too. But uh, I think I screwed up on timing today. I, I think I screwed up on delivery today. And uh, you guys deserve 100% every day. And I gave you 100% of what I had today. It just wasn't 100% of what I'm capable of. And uh, I do apologize uh, for doing that. A uh, quick announcement on the rest of the week. Uh, tomorrow and Wednesday, there will be shows. They will probably go live around 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, though. I have uh, my former business partner, Neil, coming into town. We're going to be working on something, uh, actually a couple things that we're going to still be doing together going forward. And we're going to be in kind of doing mind mapping exercises and, and laying some things out on a whiteboard and stuff like that. I have interviews scheduled at noon for both days. I'll do the interviews at noon and Neil will have to find something to do with himself during that time. Uh, as soon as I'm done with the interviews, I'll go ahead and uh, edit them and get them up for you. But that means probably 2 o'clock central for shows to come out on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, and uh, that's just how it's going to have to be for this week. And then uh, we'll try to get something out for you Friday this week. Friday we're going down to Texas, so there might not be a show Friday. There will be a show Thursday. If I miss Friday, uh, I'll apologize in advance. If I didn't have Neil in town and going out of town in the same week, it really wouldn't be an issue, but it's going to push some things up a little bit this week. Uh, I will try to get two shows out on Thursday so that we have the Friday show for you Friday morning. If we don't, again, I apologize in advance. And I, I'm sorry I didn't bring it 100% for you today. I'll do it tomorrow, I promise. Uh, I'll be back and, uh, and have it uh, knocked out of the park for you in the future. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another episode of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't. In our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. 
Yeah.